0: Everybody, welcome to Draft Chap. This is episode number one hundred and forty-three. My name is Zach. I'm one of your hosts, and joining me, as per usual, Ben Fisher.
1: What's up, dude? Oh, what's that? Sorry, I couldn't hear you. I was busy being a cool sellout, you know. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, yeah, I, I'm Finally not gonna let it get it to it my now. head or anything, but uh, yeah, we're kind of kind of rolling it, kind of the top of the hill right now. So I don't know. I, I think all the listeners will get to experience this later. <laughs>
0: And just when I thought your ego couldn't get any better.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Look, I don't want to say that we're uh, sponsored or anything, but I don't know. Uh, People will have to see. All
0: right. Well, this week we're going over our draft half hero for Phyrexia. All will be one. Before we do jump into that, of course, our usual housekeeping. Check out the Discord if you're not already in it. It's the best place to go to chat all things MTG. Say hi to us. Chat with the rest of the aficionado community. Post your trophies where you can... Brag about those. We'd love to see all the trophy decks floating around in there. Discuss your picks, all that sort of stuff. Discord is the best place for that. So you can check that out. The link to that is in the episode description as well as on our Twitter page. And if you'd like to support the show directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash DraftChaffPod. Huge, huge thanks to all of our patrons who continue to support us each and every week over there. We are beyond grateful for all of you. and Definitely recommend joining if you're interested in the perks over there. Things like our Draft Doctor series, stickers, show notes, our pre-show recordings, and our Draft Chaff hero cards signed by us and sent to you. So if you join after today's episode, you'll have a, a nice one card signed by us headed out to you. So check that out at patreon.com forward slash draft chaff pod. All right. On to our cracker draft type thing. This week, we've got not a one draft,
1: but something a little spicier. What's up? Oh yeah. Let's talk about a set that I think most people enjoy a lot more than one. Uh, let's talk about Strixhaven. It's been a while since we've been to Strix. It's a, it's a cool place back to college. You know, uh, let's just walk through this pack one, pick one. This is one that I had earlier this week. First up is Quandrix Campus. these campuses there's five of them they enter tapped and then they have the ability to pay four tap and scry one they're pretty good you know you don't want to take them that early but uh sometimes you'll splash in like the teamer decks too or in jeskai so um yeah these are solid you probably want like one or two in a deck this is kind of the introduction to
0: these like common tap dual lands that have some extra ability you can do later on lately we've Mm -hmm. been getting used to them drawing us cards but
1: um, (laughs) yeah yeah, that's that i will miss yeah, sometimes in the late game you might be in a, uh, a bit of a mirror top deck war. If you don't have this and your opponent is activating it, you really feel it. Next up is Silver Quill Pledge Mage. That's the 3-mana three 3-1 three, in Silver Quill, of course. Uh, and this is the one where whenever you cast an instant or sorcery, you can jump it or give it lifelink. It's whatever. It's fine. It's a role player. You probably can have a good Silver Quill deck with zero of these though. We've got a Moldering Karak. It's the 4-mana 3-3 three, three, uh, lifelink trample in Witherbloom. It's whatever. I mean, it's a it's a four drop. It doesn't have lesson or learn on it. So I'm honestly not that interested in it. First pick. Speaking of lesson and learn, we've got introduction to prophecy, a pretty core component of anyone's lesson plan. Yeah. Remember that? I'm I'm throwing it back. It's pretty brilliant. It's a great thing. Uh, I I honestly don't know how that didn't catch on. Like
0: me neither. A little disappointed.
1: Yeah. Uh, So anyway, this is the one. It's a three mana. It's a colorless sorcery. It's a lesson and it's a common. Scry two, draw a card. It's simple, it's overcosted, but the fact that you get this for free stapled onto random normal rate commons, uh, mostly normal, maybe sometimes a little overcosted, uh, is really good. And this is the other type of card that, you know, it's just something good to do in the late game, right, you scry a few, you draw a card, this triggers all of your magecraft abilities, anything that has to do with casting incense or sorceries, of which there are tons of good ones to trigger. We've got an illustrious historian, that's the uh, red one in Lorehold, It's whatever. Two drops aren't actually that important in this format, unlike uh, unlike in one, which is a much more aggressive set. We got one of my personal favorites here, Field Trip. Love this card. Great for splashing, great for these big green decks or these kind of big teamer decks as they usually end up being. But sometimes you just wind up in straight blue-green and you'll still play this. Uh, It's acceleration, it learns, you go get a lesson, uh, and then you have even more mana to cash that overcosted lesson that you just got. It's great. Yep, big fan. Speaking of blue-green ramp, Eureka Moment. This is one of those ones that if you had two or three copies of this, you were like, you were really doing it. Four mana, lets you draw two and then put a land on the battlefield from your hand. Kind of just a a big growth spiral. Yep. There's also a sub-theme of having eight or more lands in blue-green, so... Anything that just lets you put them on the battlefield faster is, is pretty solid. We've got a Cogwork Archivist. That's the 4 mana 4-5 four, reach, and then it does something with cards in the graveyard. I don't know. It doesn't matter. It's, it's not great, but sometimes you'll play this as a top end. It was a sideboard card sometimes. There's a Barogba befuddler. 2 mana 2-1 two, flash. Uh, not the best iteration of this ability. There's a Biomathematician. People thought this one was going to be better than it ended up being. Turns out, uh, Quandrix just didn't really want to have a thing that made two bodies like this. These types of cards are almost always great, but Quandrix was able to go much bigger and much better. Uh, plus, I think it was the Quandrix Pledge Mage that was uh, significantly better as a 3-drop. Whatever the 3-mana 2-2 two, two was that gets a counter every time you cast an Incident Sorcery. That was the premier 3-drop in Quandrix. And honestly, any blue or green deck. So out of these commons, what are we looking at? Probably the Field Trip, Eureka Moment. Those are both up there, right?
0: Yep, those were my two choices. I think I take the field trip here just because it is slightly more open in, in terms of colors and uh, does the fixing, it does the learn thing. Yeah, you're pretty happy to
1: pick up a field trip here, uh, given the options. Let's work through some uncommons. We've got a Shadewing Laureate. I said biomathematician again. I was like, that thing's not an uncommon. Shadewing Laureate. Uh, I like this thing. It's a three mana 2-2 two two flyer. And then whenever another creature with flying you control dies, uh, you put a 1-1 one one counter on something. So this pretty much acts as a lightning rod. It's a three mana 2-2 two two flyer, which... Honestly, Silver Quill can get off to much more aggressive starts. If you have like Killing Ink Duelist, you can really beat down in the early game. It's pretty good at putting counters on things too. So anyway, this is a role player in the deck. You can often end up with a good number of flyers, whether it's that that two mana one two flyer that lets you jump other things, um, or the, the Owlin Shield Mage, the big five drop three three ward three life. That, that's a good flyer. So uh, you can pick up some good common flyers for this deck. Uh, I, I like this card, but probably not more than the other two. We, uh, two commons we discussed already. Here's a good one Prismari Apprentice. Uh, there's the cycle of Pledge Mages, and there's also the cycle of Apprentices. This is the Blue Red Apprentice. Uh, whenever you cast or copy an instant of sorcery spell, uh, it can't be blocked this turn. And if that spell had mana value five or greater, it gets a 1 1 counter on it. This thing can really just kill people in the late game. I mean, this is exactly what Blue Red wants to do, right? Cast these big five, six, seven drop instants and sorceries, which is a lot of fun by itself. Uh, And then while you're doing that, this thing is growing, beating them down unblockably. Pretty solid. There's also Devouring Tendrils in here. This is just a nice bite spell. It even gains you a couple life, which can matter if you're in Witherbloom. And honestly, it's just a good buffer if you're in any of of the other green decks. It's it's a good removal spell. I don't know. It, It might actually be the pickup over... It probably is just a pick up over something like Eureka moment. Ah, numbers wise, it's probably pretty close with field trip. I don't know, but taking a mono green card is, is perfectly fine with me. Uh, yep. I have, I have two more cards for us here. We haven't read our mystical archive card yet, which is a, a big one. It's natural order. Oh boy. Yeah. People from vintage cube would be happy to open this one. Uh, this is the two green, green. You sack a green creature, tutor your library for another green creature and put it directly into play. So in this format, there's actually a lot more spells in your deck than creatures most of the time. Y- your ratio is usually very different than what you're used to. You might have like six, five, four regular creatures, and then a bunch of spells that make creatures. So honestly, this isn't the best time for Natural Order to shine. There is a big green creature in this set. It's Bookworm. It's that, uh, what is it, like a 7-7 seven, seven or an 8-8 eight, eight, trample, ETB gain some life, exile it from an, or no, you can put it from the graveyard back in your library, something like that. You can, say, sacrifice a pest to go get that. That's pretty hot. I'm not going to lie. That, that, that's a pretty cool little synergy there, getting a turn for massive trampler. But then again, is it that good? Is it better than Sparring Regimen, the rare in this pack? Yeah, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is not. <laughs> Sparring Regimen uh, is basically the best rare in the set. Uh, this is the two and a white enchantment. First of all, when it enters the battlefield, you just learn right away. So you go get a lesson. Uh, Now, getting one of the creature lessons here is particularly good because that guarantees you have a creature to be able to start using this next ability. Whenever you attack, put a 1-1 counter on target attacking creature you control and untap it. So this is just consistent value. Every single time you're attacking, you're basically giving a creature vigilance and growing it. This doesn't really ask anything of you, right? It's just super strong and it goes into any white deck, which Something like Prismari Apprentice or Shade Wing Laureate or even Eureka Moment. These all ask some things from you color wise. Uh, sparring regimen does not. It's probably the thing you want to see most pack one pick one in this format.
0: Yeah, it kind of falls in the same camp as the field trip, as I was mentioning earlier. Like it just keeps you open. I think field trip keeps you more open than sparring regimen does because it, it does let you splash and things like that. But sparring regimen is, in terms of like being on power for a given vector, is really powerful in the vector that it wants to be in and. Doesn't really lock you into that that vector too hard either. So yeah, easy sparring regiment here. Mm-hmm. All right, on to our Teferi Tibble. This is our roses and thorns style of segment where Ben and I share a high and a low from the past week. So Ben, kick us off.
1: What's up? Well, not too much. I'm going to start with my Tibble. Uh, I'm officially at war. I'm at war against the ants in our apartment, and they have been they have been coming out in full drives. That they are. Uh, I don't know. They must be hiring some good generals for this one. Uh, they, they have their battle plans, their schematics, everything laid out. They're attacking the kitchen, which makes sense. There's food there. Uh, for some reason, my my bathroom has become a battleground. I think they might be coming from the sink. I'm not really sure how or why, but for some reason, my sink has become a very popular place for the ants. Uh, we've resorted to breaking several treaties that we previously established, including chemical weaponry, uh, and that's been pretty effective in slowing their, their onslaught. Uh, also, Tibble. Our current draft set—I have zero interest in it anymore—and that's that's never a super fun experience, right? We're finding other things to do, but um, you know, I think we have our most fun on here when we're really pumped about whatever set we're playing, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's not the worst set in the world. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. You know, it's just kind of meh, and that's that's okay.
1: Yeah. Mez, okay. But to be honest, I knew that at some point I would just stop feeling like I wanted to play or draft it. And I think after getting smacked in the game day, uh, that with a solid black-white deck, a very playable corrupted deck. Uh, I don't know. That that was about all I could take of the format. I, I think I'm I'm on to bigger and better things. Now, some of those include my Teferis, which uh, include this upcoming uh, draft weekend. So, some folks have organized this uh kind of double header draft shout out to Ratafia for for getting this one together. so if you're listening and you live in the you know New Jersey New York area and you're interested in drafting with us in person sometime hit us up join the discord talk to us it's pretty fun. Uh, tried snowboarding for the first time over the weekend got really banged up but it was a lot of fun so I think I've fully recovered at this point. Uh, also right now uh, I'm teaching circuits in physics and that is a lot of fun. Uh, very confusing. For, for some. But uh, that's why I'm here. And, you know, that's why I'm a teacher. I try to lower the barrier of entry. Those that, that are familiar with circuitry, potential difference is, is a very challenging topic for students to tackle. Uh, you use a lot of analogies for it. Thankfully, some of them were on my ski trip so I could use the ski lift analogy for batteries. One might say that you help those who
0: don't really understand circuitry close the loop on the subject. Oh, man. I thought I'm the pun
1: guy. <laughs> Look, every now and then I get I get a banger. You got to you know? slip one in there. All right. All right. Anyway, what's new?
0: My Tibalt is something you may have already been able to notice. I woke up a little under the weather today. This happens. I think I've, I talk about it on the show. I think every time I get sick because it only happens like twice a year. And I'm a big baby when I get sick. So like (laughs) I'm like just basically just a little congested, but I'm like, oh God, the world's ending. Um, So yeah, hopefully this is gone soon because I'm not a fan. I think it's just to do with the weather changes uh, happening so much. We got like snow one day and then the next day it was like in the mid 50s. And it's just, yeah, uh, I don't think my body's very happy about all the temperature changes. Mm-hmm. That said, my Teferi this week is that spring is right around the corner. I think the first official day of spring is next week, hmm. if I'm not mistaken. And uh, I'm very ready for it.
1: Yeah, maybe daylight savings has, has been throwing us off, too. I've also kind of felt out of whack since that. My sleep schedule has been way out of whack lately. So that that could yeah, that could be a problem. I
0: just finished up a 10-week. I guess that's a, te, a Teferi, too. I just finished up a 10-week like gym regimen. Sweet. So I'm taking a week off as like a deload week. And of course I get sick on my deload week, which kind of sucks. Hopefully that's better by the, by like Sunday when I'm supposed to start up again. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Anyway, on to our listener question of the week this week, our question comes from Dorigan. Dorgan asks, we know now that Gideon is the face of Hot Pockets. If you don't know what that is referring to, jump in the discord because apparently they put Gideon on Hot Pockets. Yeah. What are some other MTG character slash
1: junk food mashups
0: that would actually make sense? Because, of course, getting in Hot Pockets was not a good choice.
1: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I I don't really know how that happened branding wise. I'm not entirely sure why it happened either. But look, if it's happening, I think we could make some recommendations. First of all, Hot Pockets, you didn't go with Chandra or at least someone red aligned for Hot Pockets. Like the whole point is you heat them up. Honestly, any frozen food, I'm thinking you just get Chandra for it. So many food brands are based on marketing on spiciness or like hot. Things right, you have fire mages. Like well, that, hot that's pockets
0: are it. notoriously like they they literally just burn your mouth out. Like that is their yeah whole right.
1: Sh-tick. So that's Chandra's whole shtick too. Like th- that would yeah. have been a perfect pairing.
0: Yeah, uh, I'm. I think you have to do like maybe Jason SpaghettiOs or something. Just, like, <laughs> words. I don't know. I don't know of oh, any good uh, like mind mind control foods.
1: Chocolate, maybe. Well, you know how Jace on the art of the mind sculptor, he's like spelling out those runes. I'm picturing right. the front of a SpaghettiOs can, but he's like he's yeah, got exactly. the SpaghettiOs. In it. Exactly. <laughs> That'd be pretty good. I mean, wasn't there that one secret layer that had Ulamog on the front of like a like a, a yes. cereal box? What were those called? Like Ulamogos or something? Something like that. Yeah.
0: That, there was like a whole yeah. There was a whole secret layer of I think it was all of the Titans on cereal boxes.
1: How about instead of a Johnny Goldmane, a Johnny Goldfish? Yeah, Goldfish cracker crossover. There's lots of Snack them kind of like big. a yeah, mono white theme. Uh to fairy lime raveler or un, unraveler? Or lime I, yeah, lime I guess it would like be a lime peeler. I don't really I don't really know if that's a thing people use. Um ooh, h- how about a Rowan, Scholar of Sporks instead of Sparks. You can have her. Like okay. <laughs> make a Rowan branded spark. Sure. What do you got?
0: Uh I feel like there would have to be like a Lord Windgrace's sponsored cat food. Oh, yeah. also definitely a protein powder with Jack Jace on it.
1: <laughs> There's got to be one of those. Uh, Basri ketchup. Eh? Ooh, that's pretty, good. That's pretty uh, good. Maybe the best I could come up with here, Lily of the Veal, you know, just. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, that's pretty great. There were some interesting ones in the Discord, too. Um, Ratafia suggested Grist's chocolate-covered crickets, which almost seems cannibalistic. I think I think bugs
1: just do that, you know, Go with
0: it. yeah, that's true. Uh, Nathan su- suggested Tamio, the moon pie sage <laughs> <laughs> and calcifer suggested cough of the jalapeno popper.
1: So, oh, I would totally buy that yeah. yeah. If you have any thoughts, uh, let us know. Find that thread. Uh, toss us your own ideas.
0: All right. On to our main topic this week, which will frankly probably be a quick one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> our, our draft draft hero for one is none other than chimney ravel yay <laughs> everybody's favorite phyrexian goblin warrior
1: yeah so honestly in a set full of nonsense this is about as straightforward as the card gets right chimney Rabble is three and a red it is a creature it's a phyrexian goblin warrior it's a common and it's a three three haste and when it enters the battlefield you create a one one red phyrexian goblin creature token so here's the thing if we just break this card down the creature type, Phyrexian Goblin Warrior. Usually with our draft shaft heroes, there's something to dissect here, right? Uh, maybe Inspiring Overseer, being an angel. That had some some actual synergy. There was stuff going on there. Uh, or, or other past draft shaft heroes, like Bloodtide Harvester, right? Being a vampire. There was synergy to that. This has none, besides that one rare land that taps for Phyrexian, right? Uh, and even the token that it makes is also just a Phyrexian Goblin. I mean, these aren't artifact creatures, so they don't really play with Black's theme of sacking... Uh, a second artifacts uh, or Red's theme of doing the same thing. It doesn't trigger artifact ETBs. It's it's just a good card. <laughs> it, this might be the most boring draft draft hero we've ever had.
0: Yeah, really, this one comes down to the data, right? So we, of course, have tons of data through 17 lands and Chimney Rivals just kind of run away with the format.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's also running away with those blades on its arms. So 3-3 three, three haste, it's a good attacker, right? Uh, it attacks cleanly through the good number of one threes and two threes that often find themselves back in this format around those turns. Uh, the 1-1 one, one is also a great chump blocker if you're racing and maybe say getting beaten down by like a 5-5, five, five, but you know your team can swing in and you can just about get there. Uh, it's also good for equipping, right? Making two bodies for four mana is usually a good deal. 4-mana 3-3 three, three, make a 1-1. One, one. That's good in just about every set, even the very aggressive ones like this. Uh, And the fact that this has haste obviously makes it fit right in.
0: Yeah. And then you've also got the nice little one, two punch of chimney rabble into furnace strider for just like a real quick end to the game that never really gets old to play, but also kind of gets old to see (laughs) on the other side.
1: Yeah. So this one, I will say we called it, you know, we said going in, this would be one of the top red commons and I mean we got that one right typically making two bodies for one card is good and that didn't change the set i guess i don't know if i would have preferred to be wrong but red is by far the deepest and best color in the set and uh i mean this this is just one of the best cards in it so uh, plus the, the flavor of it it's it's a bunch of little goblin dorks i don't know i don't think anything else really jumped out of this as a good draft draft here for the set there are some runners-ups uh, but they all kind of tie with each other. This one is clearly the draft chaffiest, right?
0: Yeah, it definitely stands out in that way. Um, surprisingly, so we, can, we can run through some of the numbers here. Um, this card came out with a, a 58.1% games played win rate, which is pretty ridiculous. And it has a, a game in hand win rate of
1: 59.5%. Yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> that, that's the best in the set, right? It is uh, tied with Contagious Vorak. Eh, whatever. I mean, it has a higher games played win rate than Contagious Vorak, which kind of makes sense. I think you'd rather be in red than any other color. But I I thought it'd be funny to shout out some of the other cards in the set that have a game in hand win rate that are like about equal to the Chimney Ravel. That includes Evolved Spinoderm, the 4-mana 5-5 hexproof that comes in with oil counters on it. Bloated Contaminator, the 3-mana 4-4. Kaito, the, blue, the blue-black planeswalker. Uh, Malkator, the good blue lord. I mean, Malkator, Kaito, those are two of the only reasons to really go deep into blue early in a, in a draft. There's also Glissa Sunslayer, very strong black-green rare. And Unctus, the grand Meditact.
0: Yeah, so notably, those are all cards rare. Those are all rares with a game and hand win rate of about the same as Chimney Ravel. Some of them are slightly higher, some are slightly lower, but they're all about the same. None of them. Come close to games played win rates
1: <laughs> as Chimney Rabble. Yeah. And just look at the ALSA, right? The average last seen at data. Look at where people are taking Chimney Rabble. The ALSA for this is 5.44. So you're picking up your Chimney Rabbles about like five picks in. Whereas, I don't know, the Spinoderm has an ALSA of 1.58. People rarely pass this card, right? Or the Bloated Contaminator, 1.34. Even these other rares usually get taken in the first two to four picks. Uh, and then even compared to something like Contagious Vorak, which has an ALSA of 3.7. People are taking Contagious Vorak Hexgold slash Barb Batterfist, honestly, way earlier, three or four picks earlier than the Chimney Rabble. But Rabble is just outperforming these in some cases.
0: In a lot of cases, I think, you know, just looking at the data here, it's showing that on average it's it's outpacing them and i think part of that may come down to the fact that rabble is such a vanilla quote-unquote vanilla card that it like doesn't feel that it's that effective and by the time you're winning it may also be that by turn four or five if you're going to win with red you're you're pretty well established already it's not that may not be that necessarily chimney rabble is winning the game for you but um it's just enough to kind of tip the scales to to get the game cleaned up so that may add to it um yeah, it is a little bit surprising to see that this never really corrected. You'd kind of expect to see with the high win rate like this that the Chimney Rebels would start to get picked up earlier. Mm-hmm. And if this is the corrected also, maybe these were the Chimney Rebels were taken earlier in the format, um, were taken much later, like maybe like 6th pick or 8th pick or something. And we're seeing them at about 5.5 right now. But yeah, it's an interesting, interesting set of data there to show that people don't really seem to care about this card all that much, even though it is really
1: running the format. If that doesn't make a draft chaff... I really don't know what does, right? So um, yeah. when we talk about the vectors for this card, it's usually good for our draft draft heroes to break down how they fit into different vectors. And we find that they often fit into multiple, right? Here's the thing. Chimney Rabble kind of just fits into any red deck. Literally it really deck, yeah. <laughs> it, it, funny enough, it kind of has like anti-vector synergy, like making two bodies. I guess the closest that fits with is like equipment where y- you want multiple bodies to wear those equipments, right? In, in the mid to late game. But this doesn't have anything to do with poison. This doesn't have anything to do with like corrupted. Uh, This is just a generically good red common. And I don't know, that that kind of is disappointing in a way. Uh, I I like it when our, you know, fun, interesting, good cards meld well with the set. But if we think back in five years, are we going to think about this as the chimney rabble set as opposed to any of these mechanics? Maybe. Uh, I don't know what that says about these mechanics. I think this
0: is, I think I'd still think about this as like the oil format, but. That probably says more about the fact that, like, I think that says more about the format's dysfunction than it does Mm. about Chimney Rabble in particular or any of the vectors in particular.
1: So red is the best color. You get these late. Just take them and play them, (laughs) you know, yeah. Uh, regardless of what vector. (laughs) Yeah, regardless of what vector you're drafting, it will go in your deck and it will perform well. Maybe that partly makes the draft experience less interesting, right? I mean, getting a good on-vector card, especially on-color, late or mid to late, makes you feel like you got rewarded for your drafting skill, right? It makes you feel like you found the open lane, the open vector, and were able to adjust your picks accordingly. When I get past one of these, I don't necessarily feel like I'm a genius drafter, you know, it's like, oh, well, there goes another chimney ravel. I guess I'll take it and put it in my red deck and I guess it'll work out really well. And yeah, it feels good to win with these cards, but I don't know. It's just one of the other contributors to the fact that this format doesn't really have as many decision points as I like in the draft or the gameplay.
0: So we do have a few runner ups here. We usually try to have a couple of these and there were a good few, surprisingly, quite a few commons. We're runner-ups, one of which was Crawling Chorus. I don't think that's too surprising to anybody. Crawling Chorus is a phenomenal card in the format. 1-1 one, one for 1 with Toxic 1 that dies into another creature that has Toxic 1. Just f- phenomenal in this format that's super aggressive. Gets the Toxic plan going. Uh, really tough to beat this on turn 1.
1: Mm-hmm. Gets Corrupted going too. If you look down you don't have a 1 or 2 drop in your hand and your opponent is on the play and they just play this on turn 1, there's a good chance you're going to get Corrupted. And if they're in black-white, then all their cards are just turbocharged. Our other runner up here we've got is Evolving Adaptive. Another good 1-1. One, one. Uh, well, it starts as a 1-1, one, one, but doesn't say that for long, right? I've seen this thing get as big as like a 6-6. Six, six. Um, if you're doing other wacky stuff, it can get even bigger. So this is the one that gets plus one, plus one for each oil counter on it. Honestly, this one might be the most likely to break into like constructed formats. Probably a little more likely than than Chimney rabble, right? Because this is just a generically good 1-1. One, one. Uh, one man of one one we, we've seen cards like this before show up in other formats too i don't know maybe oil doesn't really have what it takes oils what they call a parasitic mechanic so it's kind of just stuck within this set we're not going to see oil show up on well i was going to say ixalan but that actually would be maybe a place where we could see oil
0: <laughs> that's true we have seen it there in the past um yeah, it's true yeah it's it's a little bit weird because we we have seen other versions of this card. Um, a one-mana a one creature that is a zero, 0 comes in with a 1-1 one, one counter and then gets bigger based on uh, other creatures that you're playing. This one triggers on power, toughness, and oil stuff. So inside of this format, it was probably the best of any of them that have been printed. But I think when you pull it outside the context of this format, it ends up just being about the same as all the others. The oil counter thing really doesn't matter. And then adding plus-one, plus-one counters to a creature with one oil counter that cares about having oil counters... Still does the same thing. So mm-hmm. it's nothing it's new. largely just the same
1: as all the other ones. Yeah. It's kind of sad Draft Shaft Cube wise. I don't think we're gonna get too many inclusions from this set because all these mechanics are so baked within their own set context and it wouldn't really do well translating into into our cube.
0: Yeah, most likely any cards that are going to translate in are either gonna have nothing to do with any of the mechanics in the format or maybe a
1: proliferator card or two. But mm, chimney rabble in the secret red-white flicker deck. Uh, okay. <laughs> it even has haze we do try to slot in
0: the uh, draft shaft heroes where we can one card that nearly made it to draft shaft hero status for us here was cinder slash ravager this is the four red green five five that costs less based on the number of permanents with oil counters you have and uh it basically board wipes your opponents <laughs> <laughs> um phenomenal card and it was pretty close but i think just from a numbers perspective we went with the uh, chimney rabble instead
1: mm-hmm Yeah. I I have cast this for exactly two mana for exactly red green. And that does feel pretty good. Oh yeah. One of the cards that usually helps you get there is our next runner up here. uh, Axiom engraver surprising little magic card. One of the red one, three Frexian wizard. This is the one that you can uh, tap, discard a card, draw a card. turns out just affecting the board early and having a way to continue your gas in the mid to late game. Just good. You know, even for an aggressive format, uh, this was still kind of what you wanted in your red green decks. It just kind of acted as like a nice little stopgap. It blocks something like uh, the, the, the crawling chorus or evolving adaptive early and then helps you power out the big red green late game threats like cinder slash ravager, making sure you're hitting your land drops or rummaging away those lands to get the ravager.
0: Right. So, I mean, that's kind of all we have to say about chimney ravel. This is technically our main topic, but is it though? <laughs> Cause we do have something else we want to talk about that. I think both Ben and I are much more excited to talk about. Before that, though, we
1: have a couple of miscellaneous things we wanted to t- touch on. Usually at this point in the, in the draft chaff hero episode, it's good to catch up on where Magic is at. First of all, did they even like release an alchemy draft format for, for one? I must have missed it entirely if they did. Maybe it was when yeah, we I, were like, at Philly. I don't know. I don't pay any attention to alchemy at all. So Doing a little bit of research... Uh, I find that it actually did release. It looks like they didn't rebalance any cards this time around. It looks like they uh, they just added a bunch of rares and mythics in. I guess that keeps the format fresh for those that are still playing it. Uh, but a little bit of data for, for the listener here. Looking up the most played rare in, uh, in, in this set in Alchemy Phyrexia. Well, first of all, it's... <laughs> It's kind of funny. It's a, a five mana 4-4 four, four flyer. It's a dragon. A three red red for a 4-4 four, four flyer. When it enters the battlefield, if there are no non-basic land cards in your library, it deals three damage to any target. That's what I've been asking for this whole time. A dragon that, that ETVs to the bolt something with no basics. That's a really, really solid limited design, don't you think? Yep, sounds great. I never put basics in my limited decks. <laughs> Not if you're doing it right. Anyway, this has been cast, uh, it looks like 4,400 times. Uh, this is the most played rare. Now compare this to the most played rare in regular one, which is Dragonwing Gladder, interestingly enough. Uh, this has been played 38,000 times. So I guess put in a deck 38,000 times. I guess uh, I said for the last one, really played 4,400 times. Dragonwing Glider played 38,000 times. So a pretty big fall off from the regular set to the Alchemy. Honestly, just going through the data, most of these Alchemy cards have sample sizes too small to even look at. A lot of them have sample sizes in the hundreds. So I don't really know why they're still doing this. (laughs) I mean, they're taking a lot of time. There are 30 new cards uh, for this set. I've just pulled them up. It actually looks like there are some new uncommons too. Some of these have interesting designs that could be easily replicated in paper. Just save these for another set. I, I don't really get why they're still doing this. Does anyone talk about this stuff? I don't know. I wonder if the um, I wonder if there's
0: like an internal rule that they won't reuse alchemy cards that could have been designed in paper for future sets or if the, that just means like, oh, we're never going to see that card in paper. Um, who's to say? And And I mean, they could always do and they have done right. Even in paper, they'll print functional reprints that are technically different cards but they are functionally the same thing um we may see some of those make their way into paper from alchemy but i don't know i'm sure this is scratching an itch for somebody somewhere so good on them for continuing to do it i guess people are playing the format even if it's only a few and fine i you know that's okay with me i'd much rather draft (laughs) strict yep yep absolutely same which is back by the way now in um on premiere. So you can draft Strixhaven. Sounds like a folks have been having quite a good time with it. It seems to be a little bit less enjoyed overall. I think the sentiment is a little bit lower than I remember it being. Um, I haven't actually gotten to draft it yet, but, uh, I, it seems like overall people are a little bit less enthusiastic about it this time around than they were previously.
1: For those that haven't played it before, here's the general overview. The teamer colors are, are great. Uh, If you can be in a go big blue-green or blue-red deck, that's what I have the most fun doing in the format. Black-white is kind of the best aggro deck in the format. Funny enough, not Uh, red-white. There is a red-white aggressive deck. Black-white kind of is where you want to be. There's some other little hidden vectors throughout, which I think is pretty cool. There's like a blue-black control deck, even though blue-black isn't really one of the primary... You know, uh, campuses uh, or I guess uh, like colleges in Strixhaven. There's some other little ones you can do there in there too. I've seen green white aggro decks before. Red white is kind of a defensive red white deck. It was going for a history theme where you're doing stuff with the graveyard and making tokens, and it's it's kind of more of a mid range uh, to control deck than anything else. But it just didn't really get there on power level. Uh, it has some maybe slightly weaker uncommons than I think it could have uh, had. And black green is kind of hanging out in the middle. You can have a good black green deck, including doing some really wacky stuff with like sacking a bunch of pests to drain your opponent out and draw a million cards. It almost plays like an aristocrats mid range deck if you have a good build of it. But overall it's, it's uh, kind of less value oriented than the big uh, teamer builds, which are really just kind of the best. Um, It's a a fun format. I recommend trying it, especially if you haven't before. But if you want to, under the quick uh, refresher, just take cards that say Lesson and Learn on them. They're really good, uh, especially when you're going big and and going for a late game thing.
0: Yeah, and if you want a more in-depth primer on the set, Limited Level Ups uh, did a a pretty good video overview of the format on YouTube, so you can check that out.
1: And we did too, if you go back far enough in our catalog.
0: That's true. Yeah, we did do an episode on, on this.
1: We're repping other, view. other creators out
0: there for, we, we, we got, we got some action on this. Well, I just know that Alex, Nicklick at limited level ups,
1: just put out a video on this. So, well, I mean, you're That's saying you're you can watch get, both of them. You're going to get more in-depth commentary there. More, uh, yeah, who are you kidding? You are. <laughs> 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 if you want to learn how to go have fun in Strixhaven, I recommend listening to some of our stuff though. There you
0: go. Speaking of having fun, we've got a little Shadows of Innistrad remastered coming.
1: Oh, do you consider casting Emrakul uh, and uh, time-walking? Well, not even that, mind-slavering your opponent? If you consider that fun, then uh, get ready for a treat. You can do it.
0: Yeah, this is really interesting because if I recall correctly, and it's been a long time, so I might not be remembering this right, but back when Arena was in beta, we had Shadows over Innistrad on Arena.
1: I think we did. It was one of the first sets.
0: Yeah, I think it was. It was the first set we had, and then when they did the big account wipe to release into like yeah. a full version of the game they took it out um so it's nice to get these cards back we're going to see some new inclusions into sets like historic and explorer and of course we're going to be able to draft shadows block basically because it's going to be one of those sort of mashup sets like Amenket was so mm-hmm. very excited to have these cards back
1: i'm even more excited for some of the extra inclusions it's going to be kind of like uh, mystical archives was in strixhaven there's going to be these masterpiece type cards inserted into the format some of them are bangers we've got grizzle brand coming although apparently it's a worse reanimation target than atraxa or worse you know late game flicker target than the new atraxa i'll leave the uh, vintage and legacy players to debate that one out in massive 5000 word count twitter threads but uh we've also got uh snapcaster mage which is really exciting for the the control players and maybe the most exciting of all Spider spawning is coming. Oh yes. boy. Spider spawning. What a card. Uh, that'll be a, re- a really fun set to play. Less fun to see my beloved Gisela and, and Bruna once again, corrupted into Eldrazi horrors. But you know, if, if you get to meld them, you get to meld them. That, that'll be a cool achievement to get in limited.
0: All right. But now for the real main topic of the four of this episode, Lord of the Rings, the, the Lord of the Rings sort of supplemental set, not even supplemental. It's a, it's a full set. Yeah. We got some spoilers. And Ben and I are both like big Lord of the Rings fans. We're pretty hyped about this set. So we're going to spend the rest of the episode talking about this set (laughs) and all the the spoilers and stuff that came on. So fair warning, if you're not interested, if you're not interested in hearing about Lord of the Rings spoilers, jump to the wrap up.
1: (laughs) I mean, the book came out a long, long time ago. If you wanted to not get spoiled, you've had an idle time at this point. Uh, I don't even know where to begin. Big fan Lord of the Rings, adore the movies, reading through the books as we speak. Uh, and really enjoying them. I'm, I'm pretty happy they're taking the book approach to this from, a, from an overall perspective. For example, um, we'll start talking about individual cards more later, but you cannot pass. I mean, you shall not pass. It's kind of the meme version of it. But those savvy book readers out there know that he actually says both. He says you cannot pass, then a little thing, and then you shall not pass after before collapsing uh, the bridge. So uh, I don't know. I, I do like seeing that they're going for the more book oriented version including making some interesting changes here and there. Uh, Tom, Tom Bombadil being present is awesome. Uh, making him a god God bard bard, subtype. Oh, it's so good! It's awesome, especially because Lord of the Rings itself never really defines what Tom Bombadil is. I I mean, fan theories about this guy have ranged from everything like he's a spirit, or he's like a a woodland uh, mage, or he is literally god in this universe, or he's an angel related to I don't know. Let some Silmarillion folks go more in depth. I haven't read it so. I don't want to. Speak and he's, out of turn he's basically
0: on it. not mentioned in the main three books.
1: It's it's only like, in the first one. To my, no, I mean, I haven't finished the, the second and third one. So uh, he, there's a little section in the first where uh, the, the, some parts of the company, the, the hobbits, run into him, and he's a yeah a nice host for them. But the coolest thing about him is that he takes the ring for a second, puts it on. It doesn't turn him invisible or anything. He has no effect by it. He's not tempted by it, which apparently is a set mechanic. Very curious to see what that is. Uh, he, he just has no influence from the ring at all. People yeah. theorize that he must have been some sort of otherworldly being. And we see a five-color god bard that runs on sagas and is basically unkillable as long as you're telling stories. That's so cool.
0: Yeah, it's pretty great. <laughs> also, the art for Tom Bombadil is phenomenal. Love oh, the no. art on that
1: card. Oh, the alt art where he's just like a glowing figure in the distance. Yeah. Honestly, pretty appropriate too.
0: Speaking of the alt art there, so we have... We have a set of cards in this, or, or I should say a a border type or a treatment type uh, for the ring, and I don't like it. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I I appreciate what they were going for, but in my mind, one of the best things about Magic is the art, and this, this treatment cuts out most of the art for the cards. Like, you get some cool alt arts, but it's just like a little circle in the middle of the card, and the rest of it is just like a monocolored thing. So That's I'm a little disappointed mean. they did it that way.
1: Now I listened to the, uh, the, the release statement on this stuff. Apparently what they were going for was in those specifically, they were showing a moment from the character's history in which they are affected by the ring. So whether they're being tempted by it or overcoming it or something of that, that vein. So for example, for Tom's, we see him glowing cause he just has no effect by the ring, but we see, uh, I think it was for Samwise, We see him like carrying Frodo up Mount doom because it's showing him, like, overcoming that he was, you know, the plucky hobbit that could overcome the power through love or whatever. So uh, that that that's cool. But, yeah, I would I do wish you got to see a little more of that art, you know? Yeah, because they're all really good. Like, each of them have phenomenal art.
0: It's just that the border takes up too much space on the cart.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, we really should address these... Uh, these rings, right? Let's Lord of the Rings, you know, time to talk about some rings. So for those that don't know, there are three rings for the Elven Kings under the sky, seven for the Dwarf Lords in their Halls of Stone, nine for Mordor Men doomed to die, one for the Dark Lord and his Dark Throne, right? So uh, here's Naturally. the thing. They're releasing 300 special editions of Soul Ring, I believe it was, for the Elven Kings, and then 300 foil, I believe. Uh, then 700 uh, dwarf themed ones, uh, the first 300 are elf themed, 700 dwarf ones uh, in both foil and non-foil, and 900 uh, men themed ones in both foil and non-foil. And then, in possibly the coolest thing Corporate Magic has done in a long time, they're releasing a single ring for the Dark Lord on his Dark Throne. That is a serialized one yeah, literally of one. one copy, yeah it's going to be the most expensive magic card like by, by a lot, <laughs> yeah, like an order of magnitude. Maybe. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if it sells for 50, a hundred K like at this point, we're talking about a, Magic: The Gathering, Lord of the Rings themes collectible. There are whales out there, and if they're a nerd, this probably has an uh, application to them, right? Maybe even if they're not a Magic player.
0: Oh yeah, I could totally see this being something that that Lord of the Ring fans want. I could see this being something that Magic players who aren't Lord of the Ring fans would want. It is literally the only copy of this card that will be printed, so it's not even just a collectible. It is one of a kind, something that I don't think Magic has ever done before. No, no, they and haven't. we probably won't see this happen again for quite a while. So. This is going to be valuable. I hope they print it on some solid cardstock, though, because it better
1: not pringle up. <laughs> is it foil? I honestly hope it's not foil.
0: It lo- I mean, the finish looks like it's foil just from seeing Uh-oh. the pictures. It might be part of the art that makes it look that way, but the screenshots I've seen look like it is going to be foiled. Mm-hmm. And I saw somebody make a joke that like this, one of the selling points of this card is that it'll wrap, it'll, it'll curl
1: up <laughs> so much you can wear it like a ring. That's funny. Uh, something cool I like about this one, You can actually see the revealed text on it, Um, but you can't when you're looking at just like an average copy of the One Ring that you'd find in everyday sets. The art is mostly similar. Uh, It's just that you know you put the ring in the fires and the flames, the the text gets revealed. Whole thing, Uh, very cool. And honestly, having the 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 alternate text on it is is really sweet too. Uh, This is obviously dark speech. uh, I believe so. Yeah, I'm, I'm rusty, but I think it is. It's not elvish, I don't think. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not that deep. Like I yeah, said, I, I haven't gotten to the Silmarillion yet. Once I get through that, then I'm sure I'll have a better answer answer for you. But uh, yeah. And this one is actually a copy of the One Ring, whereas I believe the other ones are copies of Soul Rings.
0: Yes. Yeah. So the One Ring is an is a card that's printed in the set. You will actually be able to get cop like regular copies of this. It's mythic, but like you can open more than one of them. There is just one version of the One Ring that they are only printing one of. That um, is so funny. <laughs> yeah uh, and uh, someone's gonna go yeah man imagine being at that draft table oh geez uh but but the one ring itself is a four mana artifact legendary of course at mythic it's indestructible when it enters the battlefield if you cast it you gain protection from everything until your next turn functionally going invisible i kind of wish they said you phased out but neither here mm-hmm. nor there yeah. um, at the beginning of your upkeep you lose one life for each bird encounter on the ring on the one ring and you can tap it to put a burden counter on it, and then draw a card for each burden counter
1: on it. Hmm. So the first turn it comes down, you draw a card and lose a life. And then you're phased out, you know, and the fact that this is indestructible is nice too. Then the next turn, you draw two and lose two life. Then you draw three and lose three life. That that scales pretty well. Life is not a big factor in this. Uh, Plus, you can also stop at any time, right? It's not like a... uh, like a Frexian arena where you're locked into doing this. And when you're drawing four cards, you're usually pretty happy to pay four life for that. I, I would do that even in limited, right?
0: Well, it's so, yeah, but to clarify, the lose a life thing happens on your upkeep. Oh, you, the oh. The drawing I see. only happens when you add burning burden counters to
1: it. Oh, I So you I, will I just lose the life every this. turn. Yeah, yeah I, you will I,
0: lose the life every turn. You only draw the
1: card when you add a counter to it. I see. Okay, so you are kind of Frexian arenaed into it. Um, in that case, if you're losing two life each turn, that does start to add
0: up. I think this is even more, but this is, think about it, it's way more clever than Phyrexian Arena because you're only going to draw the cards if you're tempted to add the burden counters to it. It's oh, so like you have to, you have to like oh, make the choice. Oh, like it's wow. going to hurt me no matter what, but I have to use the thing to get some value out of
1: it. Wow. I think this it's is really clever. This is even better of a top-down ring than I I thought it was. I mean, th- this this is literally tempting <laughs> from the, by the ring. Uh, that's awesome.
0: Yeah. Then we also have a, a handful of lands. We've seen two of them, I believe. Uh, it it appears they won't be a cycle, um, but we have a couple legendary lands. There's the there's Mount Doom, which is tap pay one life add red or black. Of course. Uh, and then it has two activated abilities. The first is pay one black red tap. Mount Doom deals one damage to each opponent. Or you can pay five black red and tap it and sack it and a legendary artifact. So it's a very expensive, hefty activation cost. Choose up to two creatures, then destroy the rest. Activate only as a sorcery. So that's kind of a clever top-down design. Mount Doom erupts. Sam and Frodo get to stay
1: alive, you know. Yeah. We probably should talk about a pretty playable card from this bunch so far. Reprieve. This is one of the white. It's an instant. It's an uncommon. And we should note... Uh, All the ones that have LTR in the bottom left, these are modern playable. This is kind of like a Modern Horizons type infusion set, except uh, as was noted in the uh, release announcements, they're not going for a Modern Horizons power level. They're going for more like a standard legal type power level. Uh, But Reprieve, this is probably going to be the, the better cards in the set, one that will see some modern play. One of the white instant return target spell to its owner's hand draw a card white counter spell i love this this is awesome uh,
0: this is a white remand thank you
1: yeah Counterspell. okay okay not a literal <laughs> counter spell honestly this one might just go straight into the cube like th- this is a, uh, a really cool design yeah yeah i love it and those that uh, know and play with remand at some you know at some stages of, of learning magic you look at this and you say wait a minute this doesn't make it go away forever it just gives it back to them right I think the better you get at magic, the more power you see in this card, right?
0: Yeah, I mean it's it's one that is easily overlooked by newer players. I mean and we're talking about or at least I should say I'm talking about a, a remand like effect. Easily overlooked by newer players because it's like, well they get their spell back, but there's a reason that it's so well so highly played in formats and um, it it does take some nuance. You need to kind of finesse your way into using it properly, but uh, it's a very powerful
1: card when used correctly. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. There's a bunch of other cool stuff they've spoiled, too. We're obviously getting a few different versions of some key characters, kind of similar in Brothers War, how we got Urza and Mishra at different points in their life. We're getting different versions of Sam, Frodo, even Golem. I I don't know if we're going to see a Smeagol or not. I think we're confirmed to have at least three Gandalfs. I mean, come on, Gandalf the Grey is a blue-red card. People are saying on Twitter that this is weird, that it should be, like, black-white or whatever. This is very much within its color identity. I wouldn't be surprised, though, if we see Gandalf the White uh, I'm, I'm going to guess either. No, it's probably going to be a black white planeswalker. I'm just going to put that Interesting. out
0: there. Interesting. Okay. So here's my, my guess. Uh, I think, I think, and from what we've seen so far, cause we've also got Radagast spoiled. Radagast mm. is blue green. I think they want to keep blue in all of them for the wizard mm. subtype. And I think we're going to see, not that we don't have mono white wizards, but, mm. um, I think Gandalf, the Gandalf, the white is actually going to be a blue white creature
1: Hmm. And I think Saruman's gonna be black white. Oh, interesting! All right, we'll place our bets now. See what happens. I might say Saruman. Oh, they or might go blue. with.
0: But given that he's got white in his name, like Saruman the White, they may just throw white in the color identity
1: for that alone. I'm I'm saying Saruman might end up like mono black. Oh, uh, this is it. so fun! Right, this is all the theory crafting and. Uh, this is stuff people have probably talked about before, just around like draft tables. Like, hey, what color do you think Frodo would be? Well, they nailed it, right? I mean, Frodo Sauron's Bane. One white for a one-two halfling cleric, or a halfling citizen. It's a legend, it's rare. Uh, you can pay hybrid white, hybrid black. If Frodo Sauron's Bane is a citizen, it becomes a halfling scout with base power and toughness two, three, and lifelink. So we're getting one of these level-up type cards. He starts going on his adventure, right? He's no longer a citizen. Now he's a scout, and he's gotten a little stronger. Then you can pay black, 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 If he's a scout, he becomes a halfling rogue with whenever this creature deals combat damage to a player, that player loses the game if the ring has tempted you four or more times. Otherwise, the ring tempts you. What is this ring tempting thing? Is this something like a a, a dungeon or like initiative? I I honestly have no idea.
0: Yeah, they haven't told us yet. Um, It does seem like it's just something that's like pseudo outside the game that you have to keep track of, but there isn't any way to interact. Like you can't reduce the number of times the ring has tempted you or anything like that. Um, I doubt proliferate's going to affect it in any way. Not that that seems to be printed in this set, but, um, yeah, it's pretty cool. And then you also, with this card in particular, the, the, the way they designed it, right? Like at the beginning of his journey, you can see like there's some influence from the ring. You can pay white or black to activate the ability. So he's not like completely taken over, but then by the end, he's like, he's like totally tempted by it. And you're only paying black to get that last ability. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, very clever. We didn't get, we got two copies of Sam, uh, spoiled. Right? There's a green-white one and a mono-white version. The green-white version partners with another version of Frodo that they didn't spoil.
1: Yeah, those are the uh, commander leaders. Actually, yeah, it looks like that commander set is going to be uh, That they, they did announce that that Frodo would be black-white. And it looks like it's food-themed, so you might be sure getting does. some good eats. I'm pretty excited, yeah. I mean, just look at Sam, loyal attendant. Three mana, two, for that, uh, that thing down there that says activated abilities of foods cost one less to activate. Pretty good.
0: Yeah, unfortunately, my food deck is black green, so I couldn't
1: play this, Sam, in my black green deck, but... Anywho, looking forward to seeing more stuff from this. There's there's a bunch of full art basics that are pretty cool, too. Uh, those are neat. I don't know. This is going to be a pretty cool thing to just experience, right? If this is really good limited-wise, I might even try to make like a whole cube out of this, because this is the type of thing I could see like just having as a cool forever collectible, which... Honestly, someone will get a ring that's a cool forever collectible too, foil curled or not.
0: All right. Well, that about does it for us this week. Thank you so much for listening. Again, if you're not already in the discord, check it out. It's the best place to be to chat with us and the rest of the aficionado community. If you'd like to support the show directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draft pod. And you can find us on Twitter at draft pod. Thanks, folks. And we'll catch you next week.
1: All right. Before we go. The Oscars happened this past week, which are always fun. I, I like watching these, and I-, I think we both keep pretty good tabs on on popular movies. Now, there's one movie in particular that really crushed it, Everything Ever All at Once, which I believe I have recommended on this very podcast before. Is that correct? Quite a few times, yes. Yeah. Uh, very, very good movie. Now, I- I've seen some some pushback against it that it has like, uh, I don't know, I've seen things saying that it's like Reddit brained or that it's Rick and Morty-esque. I don't think these are necessarily valid criticisms. If you have this take, I'd like to hear your thoughts on this, because honestly, might be a, I don't know, the people that are saying this, I think it might be a them problem, right? If you're saying this is too much like what you've experienced already on Reddit, then I don't know, I don't go on Reddit. (laughs) So uh, whose problem is this again? No, I think this movie has a lot of heart and it, uh, it, it tells a really unique story and that alone, the, and the fact that it resonated with so many people that alone is a huge accomplishment and I think it deserves this win.
0: Yeah. That's an interesting way to criticize a thing. I don't, I hadn't heard those criticisms and I still haven't seen the movie, so I'm not going to comment too much on this, but, um, I don't like, that's a weird way to say you don't like something, point yeah, out the actual right. things that are wrong with it, I guess, than just like saying, it's mm-hmm. like this other thing I don't like. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. And to be fair, I do think this movie has flaws. Uh, There's parts of this movie that I think could be better and and little things that bother me about it. But uh, I did see it like five times in the first two months that it came out. I think it is genuinely that good. Uh, And I've sat down with friends to watch it and they always have a great time. So, uh, Zach, you got homework this week. You got to watch this. But some of the other ones, um, uh, other winners, Kihi Kwan uh, won for his role in this. And I think you deserve that. Michelle Yeoh also very well deserved the best actress probably could have gone to cape Blanchett and tar as well but you know also good best actress in supporting role went to Jamie Lee Curtis from everything ever all at once i don't know i haven't seen banshees of Anna Sheeran yet but i i don't know Jamie Lee Curtis is a side character in this i don't know if she'd won an oscar before maybe this is kind of like a like a legacy well, gift well I mean,
0: that is what supporting character is for they're, they're supposed to be
1: yeah supporting but role. i guess of supporting characters she she doesn't have the most Uh, screen time whereas like Stephanie Hsu like did have a pretty significant role in the movie and and was pretty good at it too um and uh, the Daniels the directors of everything ever won for best director they had some pretty entertaining director speeches um including uh Daniel Kwan who as he was receiving his Oscar maybe one of the highlights of his career decided that during his speech he would say to his uh his son who is uh, I think an infant Uh, He said like directly to him during the speech, son, if you ever watch this, know that I don't expect you to live up to like this image. This is uh, an outlier. This is not normal. I just want you to be yourself and be you. And like the wherewithal of that. And honestly, that is the theme of the movie, too. It it is uh, smashing ideas of of intergenerational trauma. And uh, clearly these guys really knew what they were talking about. Uh, I do want to shout out Best Original Song as well, Natu Natu in RRR. Fantastic movie. Uh, I don't know much about the politics behind it, and I I, I probably am not even the best person to educate myself on this either. It looks like there's a lot outside the realm of, uh, you know, a white guy from New Jersey's knowledge on this. But I will say it is a very entertaining movie and a very entertaining song. Uh, Some other other winners, uh, Black Panther won for costume design. Good costumes in that. Best Makeup and Hairstyling, The Whale. I mean, they, they transformed that main guy pretty significantly. Haven't seen All Quiet on the Western Front. Did you see that one?
0: No, I haven't. I've heard it's quite good, but I haven't seen it.
1: Yeah, that, that took home a few as well. Uh, Avatar Wave Water won for best visual effects. You know, James Cameron, he, he's got that one in the bag pretty much <laughs> every time. Uh, Top Gun Maverick won for best sound. That was pretty cool. And uh, Best Animated Feature. I'm happy to say that Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio won for that. Just, you know, super interesting movie. Highly recommend, and of the probably 10 Pinocchio movies that came out in the last two years, it is by far the best. Uh, definitely recommend given that and all these other ones that we mentioned a listen. in